Welcome to another episode of Every Child Can Learn podcast. My name is Phil Maycumber. I am the host of Every Child Can Learn and also the author of Every Child Can Learn, your roadmap to inclusive education as an Amazon number one bestseller, which I'm very grateful for. I'm very excited for today's episode because as you know, big and tall, short or small, when it comes to education, we really talk about it all. And today is a very practical episode on multi-sensory learning. Multi-sensory learning is a way to make teaching inclusive. It offers a wide range of strategies for kids to learn, visual, auditory, kinesthetic, tactile, olfactory, meaning through smell, and gustatory, or through taste. Our research shows that multisensory learning engages more of the brain, which results in more superior outcomes, better recall, and better retention. With this approach, students of all ages are better able to learn and understand information. From preschool to high school, children of all abilities can absorb, process, and synthesize things because they can use more than one sensory input to make connections. And one of the lasting benefits is increased motivation and engagement. My guest in this episode, Sarah Mitchell, is a five-star educator filled with imagination and purposeful teaching. Let me tell you a bit about Sarah. Sarah Mitchell is a special educator who has been teaching since 2012 at both the middle and high school levels. At the core of Sarah, is her belief that students should be excited to learn and discover things. In her current position, teaching middle school students with special needs, Sarah believes that all students have special needs. Some just may have different ones than others. She has achieved great success in real engagement, and I repeat, real engagement and meaningful learning with her students, highlighting the fact that students with special needs soar with special projects. Sarah is a proponent of hands-on activities and project-based learning across many subject areas. I have seen it unfold firsthand in her classroom and can tell you that this educator truly thinks outside of the box when designing new ways to teach the same old content, as she calls it. We are going to tap into her box of creativity in this episode's conversation. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, Ms. Phil. How are you? Oh, I'm so excited for our conversation because I know our listeners are really going to walk away with things that are very practical and ideas that they could think about and use like the next day. Because as I mentioned in your introduction, I have seen what happens in your classroom. I would sum it up by saying deep learning, high engagement. And I would just like our listeners to learn a little bit more 
about what is at the core of who you are as a teacher, because I think they can really learn from that. Sure. So when I was a child, I had wonderful teachers all throughout my education. And what I took away from them the most was how they taught me. And that was through engaging activities, hands-on activities, activities that included music or movement, dance, it didn't matter. Um, and I think because I had teachers like that, it just became a part of who I am as a teacher. Um, and also I had struggles as a student. When they did those engaging activities, uh, I had less trouble and I noticed that as a kid and I incorporated it into my studies as a teacher and now into my own classroom. Isn't, isn't that interesting that you had less trouble with the more engaging hands-on types of activities, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you do remember those teachers, Sarah. Like I remember being in fifth grade. I don't know that I've ever shared this story with you. But one of my most memorable things about that year in school, besides really loving my teacher, was that she had us pair up and do lots of hands-on projects. And I remember doing a unit on medieval times and <laughs> Denise Crimple and I were partners and we created a styrofoam castle with a real moat and water and my dad helped us with the silver spray paint and I'm still talking about it after all these years right yeah that's the kind of activity I try and use in my classroom as well maybe not so extravagant but um, something where the kids can demonstrate their learning but also have their own creative touch on it um, using whatever materials we may have on hand yeah I think that's wonderful and I know that you're really interested more formally in this topic because of your master's thesis, right? Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about what you found in your journey getting your master's and in your research? Sure. So I'm not sure that I fully intended on this subject for my master's capstone, that subject being hands-on learning, multimodal learning. Um, but that's what it ended up being. And I really am glad that I stuck with that. So what I did was I focused on the achievement gap in special needs students in the area of literacy uh, and how multimodal learning impacts their ability to acquire language. Um, and through my research, I found that things such as reader's theater, visual and kinesthetic cueing um, and role play really help students engage with their learning even when certain things like the vocabulary is challenging. So teachers who used those things, reader's theater and role play, for example, saw increased language acquisition in students with special needs and or ELL students. You know, this is extremely important because curriculum is language. I've mentioned that repeatedly in so many of my podcasts that you have to be able to focus on brain-based learning and focus on language acquisition, to use your words. And the, the, the shortest distance between point A and B, right? And that's what you're finding is that this really works. And I know that this works not just for kids with special needs, right? This, this works with all kids. Yes. And that's what I found in my research. Even though I was focused on students with learning disabilities, I found a ton of other research about students who 
do not speak English primarily and are learning it as a second language um, and how the you know, multimodal learning really impacted their acquisition of language. And to me, those two things go together. Students with special needs are learning our language at, alongside the ELL students. Yeah. And, you know, having been in your classroom, and we'll dive in here in just a second about some real specific examples and subject areas, but you also have a student who is deaf and has a sign, sign language interpreter in your class, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. And these types of projects really are enriching her language because of so many deficits that she has, right? Yes, they allow her to demonstrate all that she has in her mind, but that she struggles to get out verbally or in writing. Yeah. yeah. You know, let's give some examples. And, you know, I've been in your science class, I've been in social studies. So let's start with science. And maybe for the purpose of our listeners, you're always very organized in how you explain things. So let's like list the name of the project in science and then the materials that were needed and then actually what the kids did. And that'll be really followable. Okay, I'm gonna take a step back and have a broader approach at first. So sure. I, for quarter two science this year, I focused on weather, but with a life skills component. So uh -huh. I wanted them to be able to understand a weather report and what that means for their life that day. So if they read the weather report or listen to the weather report, what kind of clothing do I need? What kind of shoes do I need? Um, can I anticipate my walk to school taking a little longer? Those kinds of things. Uh -huh. So that was the general idea for the unit. So some of the projects we did that were all hands-on, we learned about um, measuring wind speed and wind direction through readings, through videos, um, and little fun activities like cahoots and things. But then we also became the weatherman or the meteorologist and created wind vanes, anemometers, barometers, things with these big science names that sound like, I don't know, otherworldly to these students. Um, but by making these projects, they learned how they were useful in their daily lives. So I'll start with the wind vane project. That was the first one we did. Okay. I, when I planned these projects, I also wanted them to be easy for any teacher to do with students. So I didn't want any kind of materials that you had to go out and spend a bunch of money on or that were hard to find. So we used paper plates, straws, pins, just index cards and a Sharpie. And that was all. Easy. Very simple, yes. I had all of these things on hand already. So yeah. I didn't have to buy anything. Um, so when we were ready to make these wind vanes, I prepped little caddies with all the ingredients, I called them, for the wind vane so that the focus was really on the creation instead of them having to go and find what they needed. And so step-by-step, step, we built up from the plate. The plate served as a compass. So on the plate, we drew the north, south, east, and west, poked a hole in the middle, put a pencil in it. I'm not sure if I said that before, but we also needed a pencil. Um, and then we stuck a straw to the pencil using a pin. Um, and then we put a tail and an arrowhead on a straw that would spin around the pin. It's kind of hard to say uh, and make sense of visually, but 
Um, oh, I'm following it. I, I'm totally visualizing this. I have a question about the pin. Is it a safety pin? No, it's a regular um, like sewing pin. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, just like a one inch pin. Yeah. I did try a push pin, but that did not work. Um, <laughs> so when we did this, I had prepped a model ahead of time to show them. And I asked them what materials they thought they would need based on my model before I gave them the caddy. I wanted them to think. Excuse me, can we stop right there? Because I do not want this to be lost on our listeners. Okay. You said you had a model of it completed and then they had to look at it and figure out what all of the, I'll use the term ingredients because mm -hmm. you just said that, what was needed for the project. It yes. is critical, right? Yes. yes. Now, I set my room up in a way where they pretty much know where to get everything. Um, but I also don't want to, I don't know, enable a learned helplessness. So I want them to think. I want to prompt them to be curious because that's me. I'm a curious person. And I think all people should be curious and want to learn more. So before we dive into any project, I ask them a ton of questions like, what do you think we need to make this? Mm -hmm. And so once they see the model, once they tell me what we need to make the wind vane, then they get to it. And they all made one individually. Um, and I will shout out my paras. I have a few paras in my classroom who were very helpful with the fine motor tasks involved uh -huh. in creating the wind vane. Sure. For example, cutting out the tail, cutting out the um, arrowhead, as I called it, for the spinning straw. Um, we also had to cut little slices into the straw and that was challenging for some students. So my paras were wonderful in helping with that. But I also want to kind of take an aside and mention that one of the reasons I do activities like this is because they're double dippers or even triple dippers sometimes. What do you and mean? Yeah, by that I mean, yeah. it's OT. Exactly. It's fine motor work on occasion. Some projects even involve gross motor work. But a lot of what I do is fine motor work. And because of the population of student I have, that's very important to incorporate all the time. Sure. Yeah. And um, I even saw a picture of this because I happened to not be in your classroom on that particular day that you did this. But you posted this on your Facebook page. I did. Yep. Yeah. It was awesome because I remember seeing the picture and it just made me smile from ear to ear. You know, yeah. you were talking about yourself about curiosity mm -hmm. how you like to teach that to kids because you've often referred to yourself as a seeker of information yes. and that is so important to teach kids is, is. wonderment right like I wonder dot 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 yep um, I agree I think sometimes especially for students who trouble with who have trouble with uh, perspective we need to not be pushy about it, but incorporate it more, make them think outside the box as much as they can or are able um, and ask those questions. A question is never a bad thing in my mind. That is very true. And I also love your life skills application mm -hmm. of the science unit because you showed re relevance, right? Because so many times you may hear in education, well, why do I have to learn this? You always link to the real world. Like you mentioned, oh, what do I need to be careful of even on my, you know, on my walk to school? It's like, oh, it, the 
it might be icy on the sidewalks. And that was based on just the weather report. And they now have a better understanding of that. So highlighting the relevance is so important when you're doing these projects, because I'm not a fan, as you know, with us working together of the one and dones. Like, mm -hmm. oh, that was a great activity. Now we're moving on to this. And now we're moving on to this. And then it never connects. All of your projects connect the dots to different things. And I certainly try. Yeah. Well, you're succeeding at it. And it is obvious just because of the engagement that you're getting in your class. Because I do see that relevance is so missing in education today. Yeah. I like to say about my classroom that uh, my for first priority is creating uh, or helping students become better citizens. And then the second priority is academics. So for me, okay. I do these projects to aid them in becoming a better citizen, right? Right. Uh, it's so then, important. And then whatever they learn from it academically, to me, is a bonus, if I'm being honest. Yeah. I remember a fifth grade student coming up to me at the end of a lesson that I was teaching. And I happened to be in person in that building that particular day. And he looked up at me and he said, Miss Phil, what do you think is the most important thing to learn in school? And I said, well, I think that the most important thing to learn in school is to be a good human. And mm -hmm. that's what you're talking about. Is it is. Becoming not even just a citizen in your own uh, neighborhood and town, but just being aware of current events that are happening and things that are going on in the world, just even from your social studies unit, which maybe we could transition to now, sure. is talking about some social skill or social studies. Yeah, so I already mentioned perspective taking. Uh, last year, one of the things that I did with my group was really pushing that. Um, I know it's a, a deficit for a lot of my kids. However, I didn't want that to stop me from trying this one activity. So we focused on colonial America and the jobs at that time, as oh. well as textiles. So what I did with that was we did a project that I think I called from sheep to shirt. And I love it, love it. Yep, so we, I essentially taught them about how we get wool clothing, but I took it all the way back to colonial times when there were tons of sheep farmers who would do their own shearing and processing of wool and how that would become clothing eventually. So I did that in part because I wanted them to see how it was a laborious task at that time. It was not like today where we simply go to a store and make a purchase. Mm -hmm. um, and so we did a lot of comparing and contrasting uh, sequencing of tasks from, you know, shearing the sheep all the way to the end product. Um, a lot of my students have difficulties with sequencing, so that's why I emphasized that. We did hands-on projects all throughout this unit. So we did, we didn't shear the sheep, which, you know, I wish we could, but um, <laughs> I did, however, get raw wool from a local sheep, sheep and wool festival that I went to, and we did a lot with just that. We touched it, we smelled it, we fiddled with it to see if we could spin it a little bit. Um, and then we had a really fun activity where we actually dyed the wool using Kool-Aid packets. Oh, wow. It was awesome. My kids who, 
you know, maybe weren't that interested, really loved that part of the project. And they got to take their wool home, which was cool. That is cool. Yeah. So there was that. And then we also took some wool and learned how to spin it on a drop spindle. Um, We carded wool to make it softer and to get the knots out. We spent so much time doing hands-on with wool during that unit. And Sarah, what I love that you're sharing with our listeners is that this is not racing through curriculum. That's another huge problem in education, that teachers are, they're teaching something, but focusing on what's the next thing I need to get to. Mm-hmm. And you you do not do that. You no. truly spend time and say, less is more. And my listeners know that is something I stand for in education. Mm -hmm. Uh, Less is more and common sense education. And this is such common sense. I mean, when you think about the relevance of this, and you were talking about earlier, the compare contrast, right? Yes. Oh, well, look at how much time and that uh, in colonial times, that they spent on spinning wool to make things. And you in modern day right now could go into a store and buy a sweater. Mm -hmm. That's a very different experience, right? A then and now comparison. And we also, you mentioned the relevance piece. So we live in Vermont and there are not as many farms as there used to be, but there still are plenty. And so we made connections to Vermont sheep farmers as well. Um, We, My hope was to get them to the Green Mountain Spinnery in Putney. We actually have a local spinnery, um, but that did not happen. However, it could in the future. And it's a great idea for anyone listening. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I connected as much as possible to our culture in Vermont. And that was really um, just awesome for the kids. They, a lot of them had a ton of information already. And then those that didn't picked up a lot from their peers. So it was great. Yeah. And, you know, I want to highlight to folks how these types of strategies can be replicated for any subject or topic in that subject area at any age. The focus is multisensory learning, which engages more of the brain, which will result in better engagement. And that could be from preschool to high school and with kids of any ability, right, Sarah? Oh, yes. So in my classroom, I don't know if we mentioned this, my classroom is grades six through eight, Mm -hmm. but they function at an elementary school level anywhere between kindergarten and third grade. So, and also, I did not mention this to you, Ms. Phil, I don't think, I have an elementary education background. I went, yes, I did know that. Yes. I went to school, my undergrad for elementary and special ed. Ah. So in my heart has always been elementary education. Mm-hmm. When I took this job on, I thought I've found the best of both worlds. I found my place. And so when I plan for units like these, the wool unit and the weather unit, I have fun with it like I would with an elementary class. And I do think it can be applied to any grade level. Um, just scaffolded or modified, depending on the audience. Absolutely. I mean, I remember being involved in units related to Shakespeare for Romeo and Juliet with hands-on projects. And, you know, this is extremely relevant 
and important to focus on. So in our remaining last minute or two here, I would love if you could share how people could either see some of your projects or contact you if you'd like to share a contact out to uh, our listeners as we're wrapping up. Sure. So I recently, after Phil and I spoke um, a few weeks ago, started a an Instagram page where I'm Yay. posting some of our projects. Uh, and that handle is um, fun skills for life, exactly how you would think it's spelled fun skills for life, meaning fundamental skills for your life, because that's what I teach. So I will be posting there here and there. And then also my email is Sarah, S-A-R-A, period A, period Sanford, S-A-N-F-O-R-D at gmail.com. I do check that really frequently as well as my Instagram. That's wonderful. Sarah, it is a true pleasure. And also, I love our working relationship. And as we continue to partner up and make a difference, I'd love to have you back on in the future to share more ideas as you navigate through additional hands-on projects. And uh, also, if you would like to learn more about Every Child Can Learn, you can go to my website, which is aboutthepact.com. That's about, A-B-O-U-T, the, T-H-E, pact, P-A-C-T, dot com. Because remember, multisensory learning is not just for students with disabilities, because all education is special. Thank mm-hmm. you.